On today's podcast, we welcome our second guest, brilliant Amanda Floyd, who was part of the founding team at Beaumont Bailey and is now director and head of investment. We learn about how Amanda seized opportunities whilst having two children and moved jobs to found her own firm after her first maternity leave. And then you went on that leave and never returned. Mm. How did that go down? Really quite badly, unsurprisingly. (laughs) Amanda explores the challenges she experienced. But it effectively meant I was only entitled to maternity allowance. The difficult decisions she made. I felt like really anxious actually about leaving the business. And ultimately, how empowered she now feels taking leaps whilst having children. Amanda is a wonderful inspiration to us and we want to thank Amanda so much for sharing her journey so far. Welcome to our third podcast. We have an amazing guest for you today, Amanda Floyd. She co-founded Beaumont Bailey, which is a headhunting firm in recruitment. And my understanding is that she is uh, the head of the investment practice there. So very successful woman. And what's so remarkable about her story is that she set up this firm after her first child and before her second child. So we want definitely want to hear more, much more about that. Um, so Amanda, welcome. Thanks, guys. It's great to be here. Can't wait to sort of get into this discussion. Great. So I think let's kick off just there then. So how how did you manage it? You it, Tell us a bit more. So you started, you were at another firm, then you had a child, and then you thought, why not co-found <laughs> a business? <laughs> Do you know what? It really wasn't part of the plan. Um, And funny enough, I think the really interesting thing about the journey that I've been on is I don't think I would have got involved with a startup if I hadn't have taken some time out to go on maternity leave. It was one of those sort of really interesting moments in my life where I actually joined my, um, my former firm as a graduate and I spent nearly a decade there. And it was a great place for me in so many ways. But 10 years is a long time to spend at one firm. And looking back on it, I didn't realise this at the time, but I was definitely in my comfort zone, still enjoying it, loved the people, broadly loved sort of what I was doing in the industry. But like I had become a bit stagnant. And, you know, it was stepping away and some other things sort of happened, which are definitely relevant to this conversation that we can sort of move on to just in terms of the culture of the firm. And frankly, they probably didn't go above and beyond in terms of maternity provisions and sort of prepare, really sort of going above, above and beyond to ensure that I return to the business. I think they're a bit complacent on that front. Um, but for me, really, it was stepping away that made me realise that I needed a new challenge. And actually, on maternity leave, you just do have that thinking time to assess sort of what really matters to you and where you want to take your career when you go back to work. So while you were on maternity leave, did you you reach that conclusion? So did you go back knowing that you were going to be looking for something new or trying to find out what the next the next chapter was? No, so I never went back. So it was really bizarre turn of events. So I honestly thought I'd be made a partner the year I went off 
for maternity leave. So I'd spent 10 years, like joined as a graduate researcher and the sort of pinnacle within that firm was becoming a partner. I became an equity partner and it was all going really well. And then I went off and it was a bit of a bizarre turn of events in that I was approached by a private equity firm when I was actually on the beach with with my daughter, who was literally like five months old at the time. And we were playing on the beach in Spain and this call came in and they introduced themselves. It was a firm, a venture capital firm called Spire Ventures. And they said, look, we want to um, back a new executive search firm and bring it into our portfolio of investments. And we've identified two of the founders, but we'd like a third founder with your sort of background. Would you be interested? And like my gut reaction was like, no way, what a terrible time. Like I still wasn't getting a lot of sleep. And I just literally hadn't even thought about the idea of not going back to my old firm. And then, you know what it's like, you sort of sleep on it. And I actually chatted to my husband and a few other people. And they were like, well, why wouldn't you just have the conversation at the very least? But being a headhunter, I know all too well that one conversation opens that door and often leads to another And that's literally what happened. And I met the other co-founders and there was that instant sort of chemistry. The investors I thought were seriously impressive. That was definitely a big factor um, because the three of us actually, we're all sort of in our 20s and 30s and none of us have ever sort of built a business before. Um, So I think without that backing and involvement of really seasoned investors, I think I, I don't think I would have taken the plunge, sort of speaking openly. Wow, I have so many questions. I don't know about you, but so I, can't, I can't believe you're at a so you're at a firm for ten years, yeah. Um, and presumably, this was an executive search firm. It was, yeah. You were made equity partner, which is the dream of all dreams. Coming from the legal world, that's where you're trying to get to. <laughs> and then you went on mat leave and never returned. Mm. How did that go down? Really, quite badly, unsurprisingly. <laughs> Um, it was it do you know what I'm actually still really close to a number of people in that business and I think actually some ways my departure probably wasn't a bad thing for them it was in the short term but I think it was a bit of a wake-up call um, because actually I was the first ever female equity partner in that business Um, and I think sort of I wouldn't sort of congratulations that is amazing um, it was like at the time it was it was a really cool thing and I was definitely proud of it but I think sort of it's important not to sort of over egg it because in terms of the context and I think this actually looking back on it was definitely a factor in my departure yes I became a partner but ultimately there were people in the business effectively managing partners and there was a bit of a sort of two-tier partnership structure and I think at I think what I realized is I would always be seen as the graduate to a degree in that, like, ultimately, I had a smaller equity stake. I still felt there wasn't, like, total transparency around the distribution of profits as well. There wasn't a really clear-cut profit share scheme. And this is often the case at at partnerships, um, which is totally wrong in my view. And that's something we've definitely addressed with Beaumont Bailey but I think I was really conscious of that and I don't think it was consciously on their 
part necessarily. But I think that is a disadvantage you face if you join as a graduate, that actually also the managing partner of that business like, ultimately did to drive things. And he was an original founder. And I totally respect that it's his sort of baby. And like he was quite reluctant, I think, to let go of sort of key sort of decision decisions to sort of others in the partnership and it's a very different footing at Beaumont Bailey so I think looking back on it that sort of that subconsciously I did realize that it maybe wasn't the pinnacle of my career that was that was definitely the case. And you mentioned earlier that the way that you were sort of um, supported around your maternity leave wasn't something that sort of encouraged you to come back and return and stay there um, do you think that they made changes after you left? And also, how have you addressed that at your new firm? How have you set things up to be more supportive of women coming back? Yes, and I, I think thankfully they they did take a long sort of hard look at themselves. And I think they have changed that. And I've got female friends in in that business and someone who has sort of been through um, that process and sort of had maternity leave and returned to the business. And I definitely think they addressed it in a positive way it to be fair to them what was really unfortunate is that I was made a partner sort of the year I went off which meant that I moved um to being effectively self-employed so I wasn't actually entitled to full statutory maternity leave and I hadn't really thought of those the sort of implications of that but it effectively meant I was only entitled to maternity allowance which is obviously significantly lower in itself and I think my expectation was or I hope that they would look to top that up um, and that didn't happen so I was on basic maternity allowance and I have to say it did sort of it did it, it wasn't about the money itself but I felt undervalued and underappreciated and it did leave a slightly bad taste in my mouth going off to maternity leave and I think at the time I sort of brushed it to one side but looking back on it it made me far more receptive to the approach I received from Spire. Yeah and in some ways because you were the first female partner mm. of your of your kind you were sort of trailblazing and those like systems mm. and procedures just weren't in place which can be really frustrating to have to fight for everything that you, yeah. you want and deserve. Totally that and they were so supportive in so many ways as in like a really sort of um it really it one of those lovely firms a real family feel but I think inherently they were just a bit too old school and actually I think a learning is that even if you've never had to sort of go go through an experience like that you should have like your policies sort of written into your handbook and you need to be prepared for that eventuality in this day and age and if you're not it tells you something about the state of your business you probably don't have enough diversity or the right people sort of in your leadership team necessarily so I think that was interesting and certainly when we set up Beaumont Bailey and we were sitting down and talking about like our proposition and key values and actually sort of how we wanted the culture to play out we wanted it to be a super sort of flexible and definitely family friendly place to work but it's not just obviously for people who are parents with young children it's so everyone can juggle the different things going on in their lives and we've got lots of sort of 20 somethings in our business and they have different demands and they have different interests and things they want to juggle but definitely like we want to be a place where parents and that's definitely both sort of women and men didn't feel they needed to compromise and 
we it's a sort of grown-up environment where you can sort of manage your your week and your workload accordingly and work from home when you want equally sort of go into the office as much as you want so that was definitely actually pre-covid sort of ingrained in the foundations of the business and unusually for an early stage business where we're three years old we do offer enhanced maternity parental um, pay and having done quite a lot of research not many sort of early stage businesses do offer that so like that is something we've offered from the outset and sadly obviously we're not in a position to offer say sort of six months full pay but we've sort of made a start and that's definitely the direction of travel we want to sort of head in as we as we scale. And have you do you think that that has helped in terms of attracting and keeping talent in your business? Definitely so a really good example actually um we we brought in a lady um, to cover the sort of technology side of our business. Um, and she's actually, she's pregnant. She's about to, to go off on maternity leave and have her first child in September. And she's only been with the business for just over a year. Um, and she said it gave her great comfort that we chose to hire her, even though she just got married. She was in her early 30s. Not that we ever sort of discussed it in the interview process, but it was clear getting to know her that like her and her husband did want to have a family. And I think the fact that as well, the investors and the other co-founders that I got involved in the business after my first child and like we never again, they never asked me the direct question. But equally, I was quite open with them. that I just had my first child and sort of clearly sort of we want to expand our family further so I think just having that precedent having that having a sort of role model who's sort of been through and come out the other side I think it really helps. And how did you find your second maternity leave I mean obviously the policies were different Mm. in your new firm but equally the firm Mm. was yours so that must have made things a lot more much more different and challenging in a different way how did you find it? Do you know what? I found it a lot more difficult. Um, I think first maternity leave, and again, maybe this is a reflection of the fact that I like had slightly sort of plateaus and I was within my comfort zone. I actually just didn't, apart from like the newborn sort of haze, the first few months with your first child, like obviously that's super tough and you're just exhausted. But I think as soon as we got like out the other side of that, we had like we had a fantastic time. We, it was pre-COVID, so actually we were really fortunate. My husband like travels a lot for business. We like followed him to Spain and Italy and like spent a month in Spain as a family. So like some really cool stuff and just explored London. And I had lots of other sort of mum friends on maternity leave as well. So it was just really carefree. And in, and I think it helped actually. I mean, my first was a September baby. So actually we had the sort of newborn period when the weather was rubbish. And then actually that summer period, the spring summer was just amazing first time round and it was really interesting the contrast um, was really sort of palpable in terms of I felt like really anxious actually about leaving the business and I just really didn't want to leave the business in so many ways and I think particularly because we just come out this was so my second arrived in June 2021 so we're just coming out of 
like that like final sort of period like freedom day which obviously didn't really happen um, but supposedly freedom day and then I was going into this like self-imposed lockdown with a newborn again and the market had just returned and I really felt just reluctant to like step away because I felt like the business was in such a good place it's your baby as well yeah, exactly, which made it harder. And I think I knew as well, you know what it's like, the first few months, I knew I needed to like step away. And obviously I wanted like updates and to be kept in the loop, but I knew in reality if I was going to give everything to my newborn, I needed to let the others, I needed to trust the others to sort of get on with the job. And we we like we were meticulous with our handover and it was all sort of, it was all set up perfectly and it, it all went really well. Um, but I did find it really hard letting go. And definitely I was chomping at the bit, I think, probably by five, six months to get back. And it was more sort of like kicking it down the line because I felt like the little one wasn't ready rather than like I was definitely ready. Um, and she was quite challenging in terms of she just refused to take a bottle. So I had oh, eight gosh. months of doing every feed, which was exhausting. Eight months. That's, oh, that's my really daughter didn't take one for four months, and I thought that was quite bad. But eight I months remember is... Alzi having these issues. Well, I had the same actually. <laughs> oh, it was it just was so just... frustrating. And with my first, she took a bottle. Like I breastfed her for six months, but she took a bottle from from like literally four weeks and was absolutely fine sort of doing both and so you just assume second time around it's going to be exactly the same and she just wouldn't do it and it was honestly the most frustrating thing in the world. You mentioned that you got some sort of updates from your team while you were away um, how long did you take off in total and do you have any tips for someone about what they could do to make that going back transition easier? So I ended up taking um, it was around eight and a half months um, so really it was sort of trying to get her off off the off um breastfeeding onto a bottle even though I think she probably could have started nursery because she was sort of nearly fully weaned by that point but that was definitely a factor I just didn't feel very comfortable with the idea of her like going off to nursery without like taking a bottle happily um so that was a you've yeah. got to judge it on a child by child basis as well it's not you know it's not one size fits all is it I think totally that. And I think I'd always slightly, she was a June baby and I'd also always slightly earmarked sort of February, March sort of time. So getting back, and I think it's an important thing, thinking about the timing of your sort of, your financial year, your sort of companies. And actually for me, I thought it was quite a good idea to get back into the business February, March. So I had sort of four to six weeks to sort of get back in a rhythm of things before the next financial year kicked off in April. So there was some sort of, I did sort of think that out, particularly I think if you're in a sales role and ultimately for us, it, it's um, there's quite a lot of pressure month to month in terms of like bringing in a certain sort of level of revenue into the business as a fee earner. So I wanted to give my... That's, yeah. actually, that's actually such a good point, Amanda. So you're saying actually give yourself sort of four to six weeks and then you could you could kick off that financial year on a high, particularly given your sales targets. Yeah. Um, and not to be fair, not that the others ever put that expectation on me, but I definitely put that expectation on myself and know what I'm like. Um, so I think that definitely helped me. Um, I also think just in terms of sort of other potential tips, I actually with um, Annabelle settling in at nursery second time round, 
we did it over it was nearly a two and a half week period so we did it really gradually and I found it actually had huge benefits not just for her but for me as well um because it just meant I could ease back in and obviously if you're like lucky enough to do this it's not sort of possible for everyone but it just actually like mentally it gave me like a bit of time away from sort of both the baby and the office to sort of get my head in the game like think about the return to work I actually just sat at home sent off a few emails filled my diary for the first sort of like proper few weeks back with some meetings just to like get going again and that definitely worked really well for me. That's such a good tip. I think I would have really benefited from hearing <laughs> hearing that on my when I came back after my first. And are there like simple stuff? Honestly, like I, again, this is a bit of a luxury, but I went and got my hair cut. I actually went like and yeah. bought a couple of new dresses, like just things which sound silly, but I and particularly because she literally she'd been sort of attached to me because of not taking a bottle I just felt I needed a few days just to like find like rediscover so like sort of working Amanda rather than like mum Amanda and just getting ready to go totally I I was wondering what your how long your first maternity leave was and then also what your childcare arrangements were for that child was it both are they both at nursery and has that worked how has that worked for you yeah so um I ended up actually taking a year um with my first maternity leave really for two reasons I I think originally I planned nine months um but then I ended up obviously not going back to the firm and I had a sort of period where we were in quite sort of fraught negotiation about um, my exit and gardening leave because I was moving to a competitor or or launching a competitor directly in their market so that was all a bit fraught Um, and actually I decided just because she was a September birthday this was all happening in July and I said to the other founders I said look are you adverse to me like taking the rest of July and August and then landing properly in September just to have that time with the little one and honestly just enjoy the summer and have a proper holiday it was again a luxury but it was a really nice thing to do um and yeah then just in terms of um child care arrangements they both go to nursery um so the way that I work and this has worked so well for me And actually, it was something, again, it was a real benefit of doing something new. It meant that I could go in and really negotiate what I wanted. Um, And I managed to negotiate um, working five in four. So I work full time, but I don't have childcare on a Friday. So the reality is, like, particularly now, I have two kids at home, so <laughs> I don't get very much done. Um, I, often I'm in the playground, like, on, on a call or sort of juggling emails if they sleep or the older ones sort of watching a movie or something. Um, but, like, there's a limited window and I don't get very much done. Um, but, like, I'm super fortunate with that setup because, obviously, I'm getting sort of paid full time, um, but I've managed to condense my week. Um Although, like being brutally honest, I reckon I'm working harder than I did when I was working five full days. <laughs> yeah, because how, how does that work? So do you put an out of office on for the Friday? No, I don't. So I'm just, I go through, I keep an eye on my emails and I'm just, I'm quite cutthroat with my filter. My view is most things can wait until Monday. 
Um, and in some like it probably wouldn't work maybe as a lawyer or in certain certain um, roles. But I think with headhunting, if you're organized, like we work on on mandate basis. So we're delivering searches for clients over quite a long period. And there's quite like a sort of set structure to it. And obviously things go wrong. And sometimes we have those moments where we've got to have like a crisis call with a client sort of out of hours or on a Friday at short notice. But I wouldn't say that's something that happens that often. So on the whole, the sort of workflows are reasonably predictable if you're like really on it with the time management. So no, I don't put an out of office on. Obviously, if something important comes in, I'll jump on it. And now obviously we have um, a bit more resource in the business, which makes life a lot easier. So there are others in the team that I can ping something onto. And yeah, I make it work. And I, I saying that there are definitely pros and cons, as in like the big con is it feels like a very short week. And often I get to Thursday lunchtime and I think, oh my goodness, how am I going to get through this by the end of the day? <laughs> um, so yeah, swings and roundabouts, but I'd say overall it's a really good thing and I'm really fortunate to have that and I love my time with the girls because it really sort of kicks off like Thursday at like 5 6 o'clock and then I feel like I have them for the whole of Friday Saturday Sunday it feels like a really nice period to be at home with them I think that point about asking for what you want is such a good one and it's something that's come out in a number of our blogs and other interviews that we've done just that sort of like to know your worth and know your yeah. value to a company and just be willing to ask for what you want. And you know, your point about your previous firm where there weren't equity, female equity partners mm. who'd ask questions. The more we ask questions of our companies, the more they'll know that they need to respond to attract and keep female talent. I think that's absolutely spot on. And as you can imagine doing what I do, and it's something I'm really sort of passionate about anyway, um, is sort of helping sort of, advise and sort of mentor women during sort of different like career pinch points and it's not just about the return to work it's about helping women progress and sort of get up to the top table into those leadership positions whether that's sort of exec role or non-executive but definitely sort of given like what sort of I'm going through at the moment and you guys like our peer group it's obviously a directly sort of really pertinent subject um, but like, I spend a lot of time sort of speaking to to other sort of women and actually just working parents who are who are grappling with these same issues. And I think you've got to be ballsy. And that like if you look at the generation coming through, like they do not have in any qualms about asking for a, a base salary rise or like different ways of working like they're absolutely fearless. And at times it, I'm, it's crazy, but it's I respect it. Yeah, I wonder, sorry to interrupt you. I wonder if, um, I mean, I started out in the workplace or applying for jobs and getting jobs in 09, 10. And I wonder if that sort of slight desperation for a job mm. that was instilled in us post-global financial crisis has maybe changed our attitude to sort of being more like, I'm really thankful that I've got a job rather than saying, you're lucky to have me. I don't know, might be an influencing factor. That's very interesting, Alzi. Yeah, good observation. I think you're totally right with that because um, I look at the difference. So my youngest brother is 27 and he sort of graduated from a good university, wants to go into investment management, actually worked at Waverton, bizarrely. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, good just choice. for a couple of years. Yeah, good choice. <laughs> he enjoyed it though. Um, and I look at him and he didn't really have to hustle to get his first job at a really good firm like Waverton. And then he ended up at another top firm. And it was all just a very sort of smooth process, just little adversity along the way. And like lucky him, lucky them. And obviously, I think a lot of graduates have have had the benefit of the same thing recently because it's been an amazing sort of entry level jobs market. But definitely, I was the same as you. I I entered the workforce. So I I um, left Exeter in two thousand and nine, and just were no jobs. Um, and you did just have to jump at something. And I was very fortunate, obviously, to get the role that I did. But it was super tough. And I think that's exactly right. You were just so grateful and you wanted to get your head down and you didn't really question and you were just prepared to graft. I'd be interested to know both what you tell the women that you're helping from a headhunting perspective about what they need to ask for, how they need to get ahead, any tips you give them, but also presumably what you're telling companies who are trying to recruit more women, you know, what are the things you're saying to them that can help them to improve what they do in terms of offering for female staff? Mm. I think my advice normally to people I'm speaking to is know your, know your value and have sort of confidence in that value, but have like data points to back up, back that up as well, because I think, and this isn't this isn't normally women actually, by the way, but a lot of people have quite an inflated view of their market worth. And I see this a lot when we're having sort of negotiations with people, um, when I'm sort of representing a client and someone thinks they're worth X. And I go, hang on, but you're you're actually on Y at the moment. Like we're gonna work off what you're earning at the moment, unless you tell me that's like massively below market, but I'm probably going to have a better handle <laughs> than you on like what the market looks like. So we have these like funny conversations, but I think it's really important actually to have done your research and speak to headhunters and get a view. If you think you're underpaid, get like a view from the market about like what others um, at your competitors are being paid. And then you can go back to your employer with like some hard data points to sort of inform that discussion otherwise it's you're sort of waving a finger in the air just saying I think I'm worth more like you need to do more to keep me so I think it's about just being really thoughtful doing your research and then just really backing yourself because like you guys all know this I think most people know this like when there's a new job sort of opportunity men look at a a, a job brief and they sort of scan through and think yeah I can do sort of 90% of that or I don't know I probably maybe only 50% but I'm going to apply definitely let's do it we go through with like a fine tooth comb and literally just highlight all the things that we can't do and then often don't apply when actually we probably could do like 80% of it and should 100% apply yeah I think that's so accurate I think also um, your point you made it earlier on about sort of worrying if you're on maternity leave or about to start a family or thinking about, you know, having another child. I think that's another thing that puts women on the back foot thinking it's not the right time to do this. So they sort of pause everything for whatever it is, five years. Whereas it's really interesting to see that you've done the opposite of that and you've, you know, stepped forward into something risky and new and ambitious, which I think is really fantastic and quite interesting and different from what a lot of other people do. I think that's I think that's a really really good point and I think I just encourage 
people that actually for me sort of one of the most liberating things as well was starting a new venture or even like it doesn't need to be a new venture it just could be a new role and I found sort of like coming back I didn't know about you guys but I came back with like a new sense of purpose and like laser focus because I was like I have limited time I like suddenly I became quite sort of impatient maybe a bit intolerant in some ways particularly of time wasters because I'm like I've only got between sort of nine and five o'clock with the sort of nursery drop off and pick up like I've got to get through this and I honestly worked so much more efficiently and also there was something really liberating about not sort of reinventing myself but actually like with the new business I was like well, I'm head of investment, like, this is what I want to build, or like, this is the culture I want, like, from the firm. And I love that. It was just a lot of fun. So I think, like, anyone could have that. And it doesn't need to be, like, getting involved with a startup, because I wouldn't necessarily necessarily promote that to everyone. And, like, timing was a bit bonkers. So <laughs> I wouldn't say that's, like, a, a classical thing to do. But I definitely would, like, encourage people to take stock during maternity leave and if you're not feeling excited about going back um, then like something might not be quite right and it might be time at least to sort of benchmark what you have like versus other opportunities out there. I think it's a really good point even if someone's not moving to a startup to just draw their own sort of nugget from that whether that's Mm. You know, getting rid of tasks they don't like in their current role or wanting more managerial responsibility, whoever it is, go back with a new renewed sense of um, ambition and focus. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really fantastic point. It is indeed. And Amanda, are there particular challenges that you face these days with obviously, I, I imagine, a four-year-old and a sort of a two-year-old? Um, One-year-old. Yeah. One uh, that, that are new uh, and un- uncharted territories. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Lots. I think sort of, I think like everyone, just the juggle is intense, isn't it? And I think we all have, I don't know, we just give each, give ourselves like too much of a hard time. And I think like ultimately that's going to be the case for everyone. You're always trying to sort of get to that perfect sort of equilibrium where you feel you're sort of absolutely nailing it as a parent and professionally. And that is just, it's a bit exhausting and relentless. So I think that's like the overarching, overarching answer to that. But to sort of break that down a bit further, I think what I've realized is just with each phase comes different challenges. And definitely going back to work with two, I've just found like both ends of the day just really fraught because you guys know what it's like. I think you've both, both got one. I think probably others on the way. Well, definitely one on the way. We've both got one and we're both pregnant with the second. We're both due in a couple of months, a month <laughs> yeah. or two. So we need tips on how to deal with two. So hence my question. <laughs> Tell us everything. Yeah, I'll try not to scare you too much there. <laughs> no, we need honesty. We need honesty. But I think it's definitely, and it's when you're doing it solo. And I was so lucky, actually. Like my husband, James, he works from home a lot. He works for flexibly he's super supportive um both as a sort of co-parent but also he's always been a real sort of cheerleader of my career so I'm, I'm really fortunate with that so he's normally around a lot but he does travel quite a lot internationally and luckily with with COVID um even though sort of Annabelle was born sort of as we were coming out of COVID actually still international travel hadn't opened up fully so he was around a lot in the early months, which was amazing. But actually, by the time 
I'd gone back to work, although he kept obviously the first couple of weeks clear, he then starts to travel. So I did have quite a few mornings and evenings when I was doing it single handed. And the first few times you do it, I think particularly bedtimes, it's just absolute carnage. Uh, I can't even fathom how it works how do you get one out the bath and the other's not and you don't you don't wash them very often honestly like unless they're sort of visibly really dirty like that whole like the whole sub routine you had with your first where you sort of religiously bathe them and even when they're tiny feed them a story and they've got no idea what's going on but you do it because you're told that's what you need to do to be a good parent and the second time around you're like nah I'm just gonna literally chuck you in the cart and if you cry for a bit you're gonna have to cry for a bit because I've got another one to put down in 15 minutes time <laughs> um, so no, it's a it's a totally different kettle of fish, and it's amazing. You do find a rhythm; it gets so much easier. And particularly, I think it obviously depends on your gap. But we've got sort of a two and three quarter year gap between our two. And actually, our eldest, she is like at that age where she is happy just sort of sitting on the sofa. And frankly, like we do, sort of give her the iPad, and she watches an episode of something whilst I put Annabelle down. So you have to sort of you have to be super flexible. And I think like anything to a degree for an easy life, particularly when you're in the eye of the storm. And if you're doing it solo, I I think you've got to like sometimes the good parenting rule book goes out of the window a bit. I think you're right. Not being too hard on yourself, just doing what needs to be done. Yeah, I think that's been the biggest thing. Actually, I found having a second child, like looking after a baby and that whole sort of settling her into nursery, all those things. It's so much easier second time round. The the bit that's different, obviously, is having the two and like fully feeling like you're catering to both their needs. I think that's the really tricky bit. But again, you get into a rhythm. And I think like thinking ahead, like the sort of the challenges ahead, I'm really apprehensive about Immy going to school. Um, luckily, we've got another year, but I look at it and I think, oh my goodness, sort of after school clubs and having to sort of like sort out school holidays. Yeah, and- it doesn't really it doesn't really support a working parent, does it? I mean, but you know, leave at sort of three thirty and then um, have months off throughout the year. <laughs> It's crazy, isn't it? So I look at that and that just fills me with absolute dread. Like other parents who are at that stage have reassured me that, again, you can make it work. And I think like particularly you've just got to think really carefully about where you base yourself and make sure if you're sending them to, say, like a state school, that they have like a really good after school program just sort of looking into all the options so that it will work for you and like I think you sort of really leveraging the support network obviously if you're lucky enough to to have one um but I think each stage you just have to sort of roll with it a bit um but like it definitely presents new challenges sounds like you're doing it very successfully (laughs) I'm not sure How do you manage to uh, rest and unwind? Do you ever find a moment for that? What's your sort of escape valve? Oh goodness, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, I think that's the thing. Particularly, that's probably one of the biggest sort of compromises for me in terms of sort of being involved in building uh, building a business. It is just full throttle and there are just always things that you could be doing you want to be doing and I think sort of importantly we're trying to build a culture 
And with a with a recruitment business, with an executive search business, your engine room, when you think about the sort of delivery of assignments, like most of our team are young sort of guys and girls in their in their 20s, early 30s, and having a really fun culture and actually us all sort of spending time together in the office and collaborating and doing fun socials and all that side of things is really, really important. Um, so I think so whenever I've got like spare time, I'm trying to like sort of pick up the slack and make sure I'm actually sort of part of part of the business can get involved in the fun side as well. So that's sort of a big one, but I wouldn't say that's necessarily unwinding. And I think the bit that I think sometimes my husband and I feel the strain is when we don't get much downtime in the evenings and frankly, just we don't get much quality time together. So I think that is the biggest compromise. Although like we make it work and we have lots of fun as a family. We both love our sport, um, not so much playing because we don't really have time for that or the energy. <laughs> but watching, I, I'm a big Arsenal fan, following Arsenal for my sins. Love the cricket, the tennis, sort of watching sport. I always do that um, in the evenings and at weekends when I get a spare moment. A way to decompress. Mm, over over a beer or a glass of wine, definitely, or a bottle, or a bottle, trashy TV, yeah, <laughs> that as well. <laughs> um, Amanda, we ask all of our guests to give us their biggest high and their biggest low over the experience of maternity and returning to work. Um, so we'd love to hear from you what your sort of top moment and, and lowest moment have been. Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think. First, if I do actually, if I do, if I do two examples from both maternity leaves, if that's yeah, okay, of course. Um, so I think, and I, I slightly covered this, but I loved my first few weeks, sort of getting involved with Beaumont Bailey, sort of launching the business, building the investment practice. It was just so much fun, and I think after sort of after the like being sort of shut away on maternity leave it just felt so liberating and just like it, it was the small things it was even commuting being able to drink a coffee listen to a podcast just having freedom again and then being involved in something really exciting that we were building from the ground up it was definitely definitely a big high point um and then actually second time round it was like slightly serendipitous, but I had a really fast start sort of returning from maternity leave and actually picked up my two biggest searches ever in my first month back. So that was like Amazing. a big high. Wow, that's great. <laughs> and it was a, one of those funny things. It was to, it was totally sort of by luck in, in many ways. Um, but actually I did manage to persuade one of my clients who was planning on kicking off the search at the beginning of the year I persuaded them to postpone it for six weeks so I could get involved <laughs> well done need to do so, that <laughs> yeah exactly always important um so those are probably the highs and then lows oh my goodness I think probably like many people that first lockdown um so we were less than a year old as a business Beaumont Bailey and so like March 2020 through to probably July we literally had no revenue coming in the business we were obviously all locked up in our homes we had a one and a half year old at the time we were both working full time and actually my husband's business is a scale up as well it's relatively early stage so like it was just intense and really worrying as well 
Um, our investors were really supportive and we came out the other side really strongly. But there were moments when I thought, I think I've made a terrible decision. <laughs> Oh gosh, yeah, that must that oh that must jeopardize yeah everything that you thought. Was yeah, oh god, it was pretty crazy, and there was think, no sport to watch either. <laughs> oh no, no sport! It was awful. I just remember it was <laughs> those depressing. We, my husband, and I every night we'd sit down and look at each other's diaries for the next day to like work out who was on a VC and who was looking after Emmy. <laughs> it was awful. So oh, hard, so bad. <laughs> So I think that like would be supposed, um, that was my first return to work. I think second time round, I did find it a lot more tough. Annabelle being a few months younger than Emmy was when she started nursery. Um, and she did the first week we had sort of World War Three, so many tears. And I think again, because we'd had this like breastfeeding journey that went on a lot longer than I ever wanted it to, but she literally wouldn't take the bottle. We'd just been together for such a long period. And it I did find it emotionally really tough. And like even to this day, she's very cuddly and has her moments that drop off. And I think like you guys will fully get this, like the difference between like leaving a sort of content and smiley baby at drop off versus one that's howling and like just trying to like trying to to grab you and won't let you leave oh it's the worst (laughs) I think that I found really difficult and it just makes you question everything and it's often only for like really short periods isn't it but it just makes you feel like the worst person in the world yeah it's such a difficult feeling it sets your day off in a on the wrong foot doesn't it Amanda, thank you so much for joining our podcast and giving up your Monday evening. We have loved having you on. It's been such a pleasure and we are so inspired by what you've been up to and your amazing story. So keep pushing forward. It sounds like you're doing an incredible job of mothering and working at the same time. So thank you again. Oh, thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure. And you're doing such such great work. I'm going to follow the growth of your business with interest as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Great to speak to you. You too. Thank you so much for listening to our new Woman Who Work podcast. Please help us to grow our listenership by subscribing, reviewing and commenting. And please do share with any friends or colleagues who you think may find this useful. Also join us on LinkedIn or sign up to the mailing list on our website, www.womanwhowork.uk to ensure that you never miss any of our content. If you'd like to be involved with Women Who Work or have any ideas for us, then please do get in touch on email at hello at womanwhowork.uk. Thanks again.